0: Thank you so much for being here. What a great day. What a great, great day. This is the day, you know, the Lord has made. And and we should rejoice. And we should be glad glad in it. Because He's given us an opportunity to praise Him. We've given us an opportunity to come before His throne of grace, so to speak, in our heart of hearts, and to say thanks. Just thanks. Uh, Some of you are going through deep waters, and it's hard to say thank you. But it is an opportunity for us to see Him for who He is and to glorify His most... Magnificent name, and we've come now, sadly for me, to the end of this great book, the book of Romans. Um, gee whiz, it, it's hard to put into words how much I, I don't want to leave. I've, um, you know, it's like a real nice home. It's decorated just the way I want it, and I was very comfortable in Romans. And uh, leaving it was tough. In fact, this week while I was studying it, these three verses. Are the most magnificent ending verses of any book that i 've studied so far but that 's up to you know it 's up to interpretation it 's up to um, what what makes you feel right, but this ending in the book of Romans. Is absolutely unbelievable to me. Paul just puts everything into this tight little capsule. And I was telling Kay, when I was my wife, when I was studying this week, I said, you know, I think I could go two, three more weeks in here. And she said, oh, and I've, but I, but I made the promise I'm going to stop. And by the way, I've learned a lesson. I'm 76. and I learned something. I'm not going to tell you guys any ever again when I'm through. I mean, if I think I'm going to be through next week, I'm going to say maybe. Because I don't ever know. I never know until I get into the book and start looking at it and studying it and see how it opens up and how it unfolds. And it's so it's so rich. You know, the ending of this book, the book of Romans, is really a lot like what happened in the New Testament in one of the Gospels. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, our Lord was on the cross. They took Him. They beat Him to a pulp. He was beyond, re- beyond recognition. And he was up on the cross, they nailed him to the cross, and there he was between two thieves. You, you, I'm sure, remember the story. And one of the thieves was hurling abuse at him, and the other said, leave him alone. He's not done anything wrong like us. And then he said, have mercy on us, on me. And then the Lord looked at him in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, and said, truly, truly, I say to you, Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. The reason that's so much like the book of Romans is the the Roman government decided that, that this thief, this particular thief, was not fit for society in their society. So they decided, kill him. Get rid of him. And the Lord looks at him and says, what Rome doesn't want you, I will make you... I will make you accessible for heaven. We'll accept you there through this death on the cross. The book of Romans basically is teaching that. The Bible teaches that you and I, as it says in Romans, the third chapter, that none of us are righteous. There's not a one of us that does good. Not one. And for those of us who have done no good and have no hope of heaven... Our Father looks down from heaven and says, What this earth says, you cannot come to me. I will make my home accessible to you through faith in my Son, Jesus Christ, and He alone. It's one of the greatest news in all of Scripture. Because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can add to your life. There's nothing you could take away from your life that would stop you from going to heaven if you, by faith, have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He forgives you of your sin. He takes all of your sin, those that you have done, those that you might be doing, and those that are in your future, and He nailed it to the cross with His Son. And His Son says, You come to Me by faith and faith in Me alone, and I will take your sins, and I will separate them as far as the east is from the west. And I'll what? I will remember them no more. You're clean. You're able to come to heaven. As you are, you're not able to come. But I will make you able. That's what this book is all about. And wait till you see these remaining three verses. I believe, I hope, that you will fall in love with them as much as I have. Let's read, please, verses 25 through 27 of chapter 16 of the book of Romans. And there's some tremendously key words here. I will tell you about them in a moment. Read, please. Now, it says in verse 25, To him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested... And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Paul ends by saying, To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. That's the one in whom you and I worship. The one who is the only wise God and through his Son, Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Father, how could we say anything better than what Paul wrote? Actually, you gave him the words to write. And what Paul wrote down, we reiterate, Father. We praise you, and we love you, and we worship you. Thank you for the music we just had, Father, to worship you and, and to just praise you through our voices. It's uh, What a privilege. And now, Father, we get the greatest privilege of all, the one that you have given to us, and that is to study your words, the words that you have given to us, so that we might understand and recognize you and see what all you have given to us. Help us, Father, to understand these words. Would you open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. And then, Father, would you move me aside so that I do not hinder anything, anything at all that you wish to say to every single one of us. And I pray your blessings upon us, Father. Thank you for everyone here. I pray and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. At the end of the service, we're going to have communion. Perfect way to close the Book of Romans. Um, wasn't uh, what, uh, Brian decided? Told me, you know, we promised to, have, and he said, let's have communion, and it just worked perfectly. So we'll have communion today. First of all, verse 25. Paul praises God. For the gospel that establishes mankind. I want to stop at that word establish. The word establish in the Greek is sterezo. S-T-E-R-I-Z-O. It means to make firm. It means to be to be stable. It means to hold fast. Establish in this context say, tells us that God is able. What you and I cannot do, He does. He is able and has the sufficient power to establish those of us who have trusted in Him. In this context, established refers to you and I who have trusted in Christ being firmly rooted in the truth of the gospel, being firmly rooted in, in that which is able to hold you fast, firm, stable. You see, in Jesus Christ, believers are established. The other side of that coin, for someone who is investigating, for someone who is not a believer, there is no true certainty without God's Word. There is no true certainty to a way of salvation. Therefore, to someone who is not a believer, their future is at best unstable, not established in reality. Oh, they can say that they are, but there is no basis to that. None whatsoever. The majority of mankind does not even have an interest in finding the truth out of God. That's why I love you people more than you'll ever know. More than you'll ever know. The majority of mankind has become deceived, perfectly satisfied with whatever it is that they believe, this kind of a spirituality. I'm hearing that a lot lately from people. I, I, I go and I ask people, do you church anywhere? And they, Well, I'm a spiritual person. Really, where do you... Uh, Practice your spirituality. The world. <laughs> yeah, thank you for laughing. I do too. Not out loud. Not out loud. But inside, if they knew, they'd slap me. You've got to be kidding. Perhaps they've been inherited into this. Perhaps they've been born into it or exposed to it. But most likely, most people have no concern about religion and faith at all. And without faith, faith, faith that is in Jesus Christ alone... And without a sincere searching for God through the very Word of God that He has given us, those who attempt to find God by their own discernment or own devices are, as Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 3.7, they are people who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what we do here. We, we don't try to give you our opinion on what God wants from you. We try with all of our hearts to tell you what God wants from you and let you make your own decision on that issue. And so what I want is what Paul says he wants from those he who has been around. In Ephesians 4.14, Paul says, I don't want you any longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man or by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. No, he says, I want you to be established, firm, stable, holding fast to what God has done for you. And through the gospel, that is the true gospel of Jesus Christ, God is able to establish you and me with His truth to make us firm, hold fast. You see, only the genuinely converted people, only those that really know the Lord, can truthfully say, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul made this statement. For this reason, in other words, knowing that he was a believer, knowing that he belonged to Christ, knowing that he was established in his faith, he says, for this reason, I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. He says, no, for I know in whom I've believed. I am, Paul says, established. I know in whom I believe. Therefore, he says these marvelous words. In the midst of whatever suffering he is going through, I am convinced, he says. Note I am convinced, he says, that he is able. I want you to take note of that. He is able to guard what I, Paul says, have entrusted in him to him until that day. Paul is saying, as all true believers finally come to that position, we finally realize that we aren't the one that's holding on to God. He is holding on to us, and He has established us. He is able. We are like children. We are like children that, that, you know, when you grab a little child that can't walk yet, and you just hold that child close to your chest and just, you know, just... the the smell of a child and and just the beauty of a child. And they might grab you. And if you let go, they'll fall. They might think that they're holding on. But they don't have the strength to hold on yet. And what they don't realize is that we've got them safely in our arms. And that's what the Lord has with you and me. We feel like we're holding on and we're not really able. He is able to to establish you and me, and that's what he does. Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, listen, verses sixteen through nineteen, that he, I, grant, he said, I pray that he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, in your inner man. He, in other words, will establish you, so that he says in verse seventeen of Ephesians three, Christ. May dwell in you in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love in other words established he may be able to you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length the height and the depths to know the true Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God that's what I long for us that we have a sense of being established and understanding God how he how He acts and reacts within your life, how he, what He expects of you. When Paul said in verse 25 of, of Romans chapter 16, according to my gospel, that, that kind of threw me. It's hard for me to even read it, to be honest with you. It's not really go- m- m- my gospel. It wasn't Paul's gospel. It was our Lord's gospel. But Paul was not speaking of his own personal view of the gospel. You need un- we need to understand that. His gospel is the same gospel that was preached by all other true followers of Jesus Christ. Paul explained that fact in in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what Paul says: I would have you known, brethren, I want you to know this. The gospel which was preached by me, Paul says, was not according to man. I I didn't learn it out there in the highways and the byways. No, he says in the next verse, "I I I neither received it by man nor was I taught it by man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Our Lord personally taught Paul, which I believe enabled Paul to feel like it was his own. I'm sure he was so in love with God and and Jesus Christ and the Word of God that he, he felt like it was his. And so he says here, according to my gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is this. God will take a fallen, corrupted, doomed sinful person and God will establish him or her forever and he will do this through the truth of his word and by his power he is able to establish you and me he loves us that much you see the lesson of Romans is this apart from Jesus Christ there's nothing else there's no purpose no meaning, no satisfaction, no joy, no hope. But to not have Christ, there is only sin, disappointment, judgment. If you're here, you've come here this morning, you're investigating about Christ. You've not yet given your heart to Jesus Christ. We love you very much. We, we understand. No big deal. We, we, we love you very much. But we want you to know that our Lord loves you so much that He is longing for you to ask Him into your heart so that He might forgive you of your sin. And we're longing as a group of people who know the Lord for you not to go into judgment. We beg of you don't go into judgment. There's no in or out of judgment. Judgment is judgment, and there is only one end to judgment. There is a judgment, though, that the Bible speaks of that that is very pertinent to those of us that don't know the Lord, and that is that we judge ourselves as a sinner. And we judge that we cannot save ourselves, and we judge that we need a Savior, and we come to Jesus Christ asking Him for the forgiveness of our sin. And when we judge ourselves guilty and ask Him to be our Savior, He will judge us no more. Our judgment is over with. All of your sin, all of my sin, all of our sin is cast upon the person of Jesus Christ. And he willfully accepts it. Don't go into judgment. I beg of you, please, don't go into judgment. You see, no one will ever, ever be established apart from God's most precious gospel, which is the theme of the first three chapters of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about what I tried to explain a little bit about sinful man. In Romans 1, from verses 18 to 32, is a a capsule of what sinful men and women look like. It says in verse 18, Paul writes, sinful man suppresses God's truth because that which was known about God is evident within them. How? Why was it evident? Well, he says in the next verse, God made it evident in them. He made Himself real. He made Himself available. He made Himself recognizable. They can know that there is a God. But when they reject that light, Romans 1, verse 23 says, they exchange the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of either corruptible man, birds, animals, crawling creatures. In other words, the inevitable product of rejecting God, brings about some kind of idolatry. Which turns in, the Bible says, to immorality. Then God turns them over. It says in verse 24, Therefore, because they rejected Him, God turns them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Verse 26, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Their bodies might be dishonored among them. They continued to reject them. Verse 26, Therefore God gave them over to degrading passions. Women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27, And in the same way men abandoned the natural function of a woman and burned their desire towards one another, men with men, committing indecent acts. So along with homosexuality, In verse 28 came this, God gave them over to depraved minds. From verse 29 to verse 31, they they were given over to unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, countless other forms of sin that caused mankind to fall under the judgment of God. Don't do that. Don't fall under the judgment of God. And verse 32 very clearly says, although they knew the ordinances of God, that those who practiced such things were worthy of death. They not only did the same, but they gave hearty approval to those who practiced it with them. We learn from chapter 3 in the book of Romans that none of us have a chance apart from our Savior. None of us. It says in verse 10 of chapter 3 that there is not a one person on the face of this earth that is righteous. No, not one. And then in verse 20 it says that by the works of the law, no flesh is going to be justified by God's sight. In other words, nobody can on their own clean up their life to such a degree that they can finally look up to heaven apart from Christ and say, I've done it, I've made myself good enough. No, no, there is no one, the Bible says in 3.20, who will by their own flesh be justified in God's sight. See, Paul teaches that over and over again. In the first chapter of Romans, the 16th verse, he says, Only the gospel has the power of God for salvation to establish you and me. And to whom does he give it? It says to everyone. To everyone, anyone who will believe. Won't you believe? Won't you trust in your Savior? So what is this gospel? Establishes you and me. Chapter 16, verse 25. It is the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's pure and simple, the Gospel. Jesus Christ is on almost every page of this. I shouldn't say almost. It's on every page of this book. Find the Savior everywhere. Take a good look at verse 25 again. Read it with me. Now to Him who is able, our Lord who is able to establish you and me according to, let me say the Gospel, according to the gospel to the preaching of Jesus Christ the only gospel that god will establish is that which is the one that proclaims Jesus Christ period the major theme of romans like the major theme of all of scripture is is the preaching and the teaching and the and the dependence upon your life towards your savior Jesus Christ Paul said it, I mean, over and over again. In 1 Corinthians, he said, Christ didn't send me to baptize. I didn't come here for that purpose. Christ sent me, he said, to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus Christ. He says, I I do this so that the cross of Jesus Christ would not be made void. I preach Jesus Christ crucified, Paul says. He is the power and the wisdom of God. But he said in 2 Corinthians ten seventeen, is one of my favorite. I, I skipped over Second Corinthians four or five. He, he just said simply, I do not preach myself, but Christ, Christ my Lord. But I love 2 Corinthians ten seventeen. Paul writes these words: Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of Christ. This is it. There's no there's no tricks. There's no uh, gadgets. There's no other ways to come to know and trust in Christ. Faith, your faith will come by hearing. And hearing is going to come by the Word of Christ. That's it, pure and simple. That's why we do what we do here. Preach the Word of God. Preach the Word of God. When you doubt, preach the Word of God. It It is what brings hope, salvation, all the things that God wants you to have in your life. And so from chapter 3 to chapter 8, Paul brings every blessing our ways. That we would have the righteousness of Christ. We would be justified. In other words, just as if we'd never sinned. We'd have peace with God. We'd have eternal life. In Romans 6.23, Paul wrote these words, The wages of sin is death, but but the free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't it just... Doesn't it, Boggle your mind! If you go to someone and you share the wonders of Christ, and you you have enough gumption to tell them, look, without Christ, you mean to say I'm going to die and go to hell? Yes, yes, you are. You know that take, takes a lot of nerve to say that. And then you sit and you talk. Wouldn't you want the Lord? You know, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And then they sit and think, are you are you serious? I want, to, I want to grab them by their shoulders and shake them. What are you, you want, you're thinking about death versus eternal life? What, what are you thinking of? Folks, we've got to understand how serious this faith, this thing is that we have, that is faith, and that is so serious that our Lord has given it to us and He has established us and He has taken it upon Himself to take care of everything for you. You come by faith, He does the rest. The only thing He asks you and me to do after that is what He said in Romans 12. Present your bodies a living, after you've come to trust in Christ, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto the Lord. It's like, now serve Him. Not so that you'll be more saved. It doesn't do anything to your eternal destiny. You're you're doing things for the Lord. doesn't doesn't help. I mean, you're not going to be more saved by doing more for the Lord, you know it's like I've said this many, many times. All of you have heard this, but I'm going to say it again. It's like me being married. <clears throat> I married Kay on on uh, September in '73. September of '73. I married her, and that that afternoon when she said yes to me, we were married. We have been married 40, almost 41 years. We are not more married today than we were. At that moment that we both said I do to one another in September of 73. In the process of this life with her, I have tried with all of my heart to do as many good things for her as I possibly can. I try to love her. I try to do what I would believe the Lord would want me to do for a wife. I try to. You know why I do it? Not so I'll be more married. I can't be more married. I'm married. I'm as married as I could be. I do it because I love her. You serve the Lord. That's so you'll be more saved. You're as saved as you're going to be. Serve Him because you love Him. It's the, it's the proper thing to do. It's the good thing to do. It's, the, it's really what's best for all of us, to serve the Lord. And so Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is everlasting life in Jesus Christ. So what do we learn from verse 25? We learn two things right away. The Gospel establishes you. He is able to keep you. Second thing we learn, it is done. The gospel is given to us by the preaching of the Word of God, not by other things. You're not going to find God in a sunset. Oh, I think you'll see the wonders of God in a sunset. But I don't think anyone will come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ if they don't know anything about Him with just the sunset. For me, it's the mountains. I see the majesty of God in the mountains. I see the power of God in a mountain. But I I don't really know about salvation through a mountain. What I know about salvation has been written to me in this this precious book that we hold, this Bible. This is what leads you and me to an understanding of Christ. The preaching of the Word through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now the third thing we see, and it is precious. We see that the Gospel and the Son... Through them, Paul reveals God's mystery. The gospel establishes us. The gospel proclaims to us Jesus Christ. And the gospel reveals to us the mysteries of God that that have been kept secret, Paul wrote, from ages long ago. Now, the word mystery in verse 25 refers to something that is hidden in former times, but has now been revealed. Specifically, it, it refers to a part of the truth of God that was not completely revealed in the Old Testament, but is now in the New Testament. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, calls you and me stewards of the mysteries of God. We are stewards of his mystery. He reveals them to us. And then there's a number of them. They're up on the, they'll be up on the board. There's the mystery of lawlessness. It's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. There's the mystery of godliness and, and godliness Godliness. In First Timothy 3.16, there is a, the mystery of the rapture of the church. In First 1 Corinthians 15.51, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery, he says. We will not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die, but we will all be changed. That's the glorious day of the rapture. When people who are fortunate enough to be alive, when Jesus Christ comes back and takes us up into the air. There is the mystery of the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus Christ said, To you it has been given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. There's the mysteries of the will of, will of Jesus Christ. He said He made known to us the mysteries of His will. In Ephesians 1.9. In Colossians 2.2, 2, we are told that God's mystery is Jesus Christ. That's, that's the mystery that the Lord God revealed to us that wasn't was crystal clear Throughout the Old Testament. There's Christ in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32. He says this mystery is great. He says but I am speaking in reference to Jesus Christ in the church. Our church is not built upon us. Our church is built upon our Savior Jesus Christ. Then there is the mystery of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19. Paul says pray for me. I love this. I, I would ask you to do this for me as well. He says pray for me. That the utterance that... May be given by me, the opening of my mouth. Paul says, I would make known with boldness the mysteries of the gospel. I like that. Christ in believers. If Colossians chapter one verse twenty-seven. This mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ is in you, and then the mystery of faith. First Timothy three nine says, Hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. But the most. The most common mystery spoken of in the New Testament and what Paul is speaking of here in Romans 16, verse 26 and 7, 5, 6 and 7, it refers to God's providing salvation for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. In other words, all of mankind are welcome into God's kingdom. It's like that thief on the cross. You will be with me in paradise. Paul wrote this truth in Ephesians chapter 3. Please listen. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. He says that by revelation there was made known to me, Paul wrote, the mystery. What is it, Paul? As I wrote before in brief, I refer to this. When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, that which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. As now it has been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the spirits, And to be specific, He says in verse 6 of Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, that the Gentiles are fellow members, that the Gentiles are fellow partakers in the promise of Christ through the gospel. You see, through Jesus Christ and through His gospel, all believing Gentiles are fully saved. All believing Gentiles are fully citizens of His divine kingdom. All believing Gentiles are fully children of God. <clears throat> just as all believing Jews are. When the Protestant church was formed, the theme was taken through a study of the book of Romans of all things. <clears throat> they narrowed it down into one statement. I was told when I was in college by a professor, if you understand what I teach, at the end of the year, you'll be able to take everything that I taught and you'll be able to write it down into one short paragraph or one sentence. That's what this gospel is about. The Protestant Reformation came up with this statement, Solo, Sola Dio Gloria. Sola Dio Gloria. Or, to God alone the glory. To God alone the glory. That's what Romans is all about. God alone is worthy of our honor. And all the glory and all the dominion and all the the power is His. It is God who glorifies you. It is God who glorified this this book of Romans, the whole Bible for that matter. And so Paul concludes, Paul concludes with one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. He says in verse 27, To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Sola, Dio, Gloria. To God alone, the glory. Now, guys, would you come forward and pass out communion? I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to think for a moment about what does Christ mean to you? Um, for those of you here that um, there's some sin in your life, and you know it, and you, you just haven't dealt with it yet, I, I would beg of you to deal with it. I mean, the process is if you, if you ask God for forgiveness, He will forgive you every time. If you confess your sin, He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In the process, I want you to wait. When you when you take the bread and the wine, actually it's juice, but when you take that Jake, can I have one, please? Thanks, Jack. Thank you very much. When you take it, I want you to just hold on for a while and, and just remember. Just just go through a process of remembering what is Jesus Christ, what does he mean to you? What does he meant to you? What what has he done for you? And then I want you to, if you would, take a look at your own life and see if there's anything that you need to cleanse yourself of so that we can go into communion just really just right before God. So it's twelve oh seven. time is almost perfect, really? Um, by the time we get the the communion stuff uh, stuff, the communion bread and wine passed out, um, I'm going to give you about two or three minutes just to think and just to pray. And what I want you to do is to remember. Remember when Jesus Christ gave the, the disciples bread and the wine. He said, I want you to do this in, in remembrance of me. I want you to remember me. Remember the death I paid on the cross for you. Remember the blood that I shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And I want you to do that. And we'll just be quiet for a while. Let you kind of think and uh, we'll close in a moment. If I'm interrupting your thought right now, please forgive me for that. <clears throat> would you take of the bread, and would you just for a moment think of what our Lord has done for us? He says, when you eat of this, do this in remembrance of me. Just remember that, that he willfully went to the cross, died upon a cross for your and my sin. He loved us that much, and he loves us this, that much even today. And so as we take of this bread, a representation of his body, let's do it in remembrance of him. And now this juice, a representation of the blood of Christ. The very wonderful, wonderful privilege that he has given to us as mankind to have our sins forgiven. Not only are sins that we've done, sins that we might do in the future. He has taken those sins and He has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. He makes a promise that He will not remember them anymore. He has established you and me. Established us. I pray if nothing else, the book of Romans has made you feel that you are firm stable, held fast, established by your Savior. Father, we we are in awe of your kindness. Like Paul, we wish to even shout out the words that to the only wise God, through your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, we pray the glory be with you with you forever and ever amen